antiquarian adventures in meta reality 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 masks maladies and misrule episode 2 Today we are in West Cornwall, in the granite cottage of the internationally renowned sculptor Tim Shaw, where in our exploration of the idea of the mask we discoursed on such diverse topics as art, folklore, the troubles in Ireland, life, death and the Padstow Mayday Obios celebrations. things we're going to talk about today is, you know, a thread that seems very much to run through your work is the sort of mythological, folkloric sort of thread. What are you working on at the moment? Okay, so I'm working on a small figures that are modelled out of wax and, and buddleia bark, actually, right. um, which signifies straw. And the piece is entitled The Mummer's Tongue goes whoring amongst the people. And that's taken from a line by Seamus Heaney, I think, um, who quoted, the the mama's tongue goes whoring amongst the civilised tongue. And I just to to jumble it up a bit. The mama's tongue goes whoring amongst the people. Right. So the piece, I guess its origins go way back to the early 90s when I was working on Middle World. And I nipped out to get the newspaper one day and saw on the front of the Times this image of these three masked people, straw-masked people, and I thought, wow, you know, what part of Africa is that from? When indeed, actually, these were the Armagh Rhymers from the same province that I was born and brought up in, Northern Ireland. Right, OK. And, uh, and that was a real surprise to me because I'd never come across anything like that before. OK. Yeah, they're very striking images, aren't they? Yeah, it's part of the um, the hunting of the wren ceremony. Yeah, and it's uh, something that seems to go across Ireland, both north and south, Wales and the Isle of Man. Doesn't seem to be so much in England or Scotland, but um, Ireland seems to be, you know, the place where it seems to have survived. But yeah, really quite striking image, isn't it? In that the it's part of a procession and the leaders of the procession have these, yeah, like you say, some quite African-looking straw masks, mm-hmm. sort of straw helmet or bonnet that's sort of drawn down over obscuring all their features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess it takes away the individual identity. And what, what, does it, what does the mask allow you to do? Well, it takes away the personal the identity of the person to become this other person or entity giving an allowance and a freedom to perform but crucially as well as obscuring your own identity it gives you a new one yeah so it's got a sort of a positive and negative side to it yeah that's one of the sort of incredible things about the mask yeah i really don't know you know where for me it all started growing up in northern ireland 
the balaclava was of course was, was yes was an important image just seeing you know in particular seeing people dressed in balaclavas at paramilitary funerals was a very powerful image in itself and you know the balaclava meant violence and it had a sinister element absolutely again it's this two-part thing of obscuring the identity and very much projecting another identity saying in the 70s anyone who saw a balaclava mm. it only meant one thing yeah didn't it violence and conflict yep. that these people would be of a, th- <coughs> of a threat yeah you know i heard the suggestion once of we'll send the men with a woolly hat round to see you right <laughs> and yeah. um, you know i guess that's that's a very early life you know memory of a of a mask and then obviously everybody had on their walls you know the ubiquitous african mask yeah um from travels or whatever or you know picked something up along the way so that you know i think the masks and the halloween mask obviously and oh absolutely yeah. masks are with us absolutely and i mean i know you know in your middle world and and around that sort of time using a lot of that the carnival mask image uh, yeah, well, I think we're going quite a way back here. There's one image of this sort of king-like figure of the mm. sort of enlarged, exaggerated crown with a, a carnival mask is holding, and then there's obviously this other symbolic works in that too. I suppose the the, the mask is is the hiding the hiding of the the individual, right? To become something more powerful okay. or something yeah. other than that particular individual or part of a group. This is the other interesting aspect of masks as well, is that a mask is nothing on its own. A mask has got to be with a group of people. Mm. It's got to Mm. be something that's used. It's got to be connected with an action in a group of people Uh because a mask relies on A, someone wearing it and B, someone seeing it. Without that, it's just a lump of wood or a lump of paper mache or whatever. It's, a mask has got to be part of some kind of ceremony mm. or part of some kind of belief. I know what you're saying, and we'll come back to that. I might contest that, oh, and, yeah. and, and I'll give you an example. Okay. But I know exactly what you mean, because I've been in the stable where they put the obios. Okay. And, you know, so the obios is, is actually put into a room that they... I think they probably call it the stable. Right, yeah. And it hangs there, and okay. the mask as well. And and you can say that it kind of loses its life force. And then when the 1st of May comes around, and the, the skirt and the top of it is put over onto one of the young men. Right, And okay. the mask is, is put onto their head, and it goes out in procession with drums and accordions. It does take on a... A very powerful processional quality, right? And you look at the eyes of the horse, and you look at the movement, and it—it's incredibly powerful, isn't it? Isn't it just? I mean, this is the other example of the, the, these masks absolutely coming to life. There's a story that they say that some of the people dancing beneath the os can almost become possessed by it. They call mm. it getting mazed, mm. don't they? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they hear stories about, you know, some of the dancers having to be sort of pulled out of the os. Mm. Isn't that, though, to do with sort of the mesmeric experience? 
the drum beats, the repetitive movements. Well, yeah, but this is what I think is the interesting thing with masks. I don't think you can separate the mask from the environment it's in. The um, Obios mask is very much part of the tune and the drum beat and the Mm. procession Mm. and the place. And also, crucially, the time as well. This is another really interesting thing about a lot of these folk customs, especially in the United Kingdom, is that they're always connected with a particular time of year. Like the uh, hunting of the wren you mentioned is, is always connected with usually around the Yuletide period, but often specifically with uh, Boxing Day or St Stephen's mm-hmm. Day. Mm-hmm. And I think the Irish one is actually St Stephen's Day, mm. the Boxing Day one. Even the carnival season is often in the Lent, mm-hmm. the period in, in sort of mainland Europe in the Mediterranean, not, again, not so much in, in Britain, is this period sort of leading up to Easter. And uh, you've got the obvious around um, May Day or Beltane, mm. but also around this time, other kinds of masks emerge mm. as well. You've got Jack in the Green processions mm-hmm. where people sort of dress up in greenery. When you think about the obvious, it doesn't feel as if it's the shape of it and the look of the mask. That looks like as if it could have come out of Western Africa. Oh, don't think just. You know, in fact, you can point to certain costumes that look quite similar from that part. Oh, doesn't it just? It's, it's interesting if you've got a chance to wander around the African section in the, in the British Museum. It's down in one of the basements. Something that really strikes me about it, you walk around there and there's such a similarity between a lot of these African costumes, folk customs, and lots of the old British ones. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, customs and costumes can move around, as with trade, trade ships, trade routes. Yeah, so, it's, it's, you know, it's very hard to know whether the OS was just born out of its particular area or whether it's something that was a look or a style that, that has migrated from another place. Well, yeah, I mean, well, this is the big question isn't it, that hangs over folklore and mythology. Because this happens time and time again, even sort of very specific stories and songs pop up at different places in the world without any sort of seeming connection. I mean, maybe there's something hardwired inside us, inside our psyches that makes us want to responds to our world in this particular way to make masks in this particular way and to use masks in this particular way i don't know it's sort of it's one of those nature nurture things there is no definite answer to this yeah well i think you know i I definitely believe that two different individuals can come up with the same thing in two different parts of the world that may be similar in, in appearance and it may never have met or known anything about one another or what they do. Perhaps part of artistic pursuit is tapping in, into that river, you know, the collective conscious. Yes, yeah. And maybe in that is a supply of these universal images. Right. I, I definitely do feel that, actually. that Maybe is maybe this is, again, one of the other functions of, of the mask. The mask sort of dissolves this idea of the individual and brings us close to this idea of of this universal unconsciousness. Yeah, and and that's in a way I, I guess that solves some of the some of the questions that we're asking, you know, does the obvious does it come you know, was it born out of 
North Cornwall or Mid Cornwall, or is it something that was the look of it was transported from another place and in time? Well, this, this is the big question. Maybe there is this platonic ideal of an os somewhere out there on the ether that we're all drawing upon. But they are universal images, aren't they? You know, if you think about os, abbreviation of horse, I presume, and horses are animals that would have been, particularly in the past, very close and very, very important to human beings because they help ply the fields and help transport us and other things from A to B. So they would feature, you know, very much as this potent image or animal in, in, in the yeah. in our existence. And they're something that transformed us as a culture as well, didn't they? Horsepower, you know, we yeah. think, you know, yeah. how many horsepower yeah. is, that, is that vehicle? Yeah. So, you know, quite central. And then when you think about the coming of summer, the good things to come and um, fertility, it is a good image that symbolises everything about those things. Yeah, it could be. Another interesting dimension to the whole Oss thing is that there's another tradition of the Christmas bull, the people dressing up with a bull's head around Christmas time. And this occurs in the western counties, Dorset and Wiltshire and Gloucestershire. And one sort of well-known example of this is the um, the Dorset Oozer, which comes from um, a little village called Melbury Osmond. This was a sort of bull's head that was worn. It's a part bull, part human, very eerie-looking head. It was actually lost, probably sold, in, in, in the 1890s, but there were pictures of it, so we know what it looked like. But the name, um, Oozer, is very similar to Oss. Mm. So it's almost maybe the Oss is not referring to the horse, but this idea of this composite sort of chimera-type creature. Mm. What does Oozer mean? Well, no one knows. This is the thing. O-U-S-E-R? It's double O-S-E-R. It's almost, phonetically, it sounds as if it's trying to bring out. Yeah, oozing. Or it's oozing out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting because the last figure that I worked on with a small grouping, the mummer's tongue, it's a figure with a bull's head. Okay. And so there's one with a horse's head and one with a bull's head. Right. I can show you an image of. Okay. Um, and one's playing a squeeze box and the other's just dancing along. Fantastic. Um, and that's based on going to see the, the Armagh Rhymers. Okay. The mummer's performing. And one has a bull's head and right. one has a horse's head. Yeah, and you've, and actually, you've actually seen them, have you? I have, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, several times. Uh, I'm in touch with the Arma Rhymers, who I've seen through the years several times, and I've just come into contact with another contingent of members down in County Fermanagh. Oh, OK. Which approach it in maybe a less performative, but more, it's got more of a sort of ritualistic oh, okay. feel to it. And they don't have animals' heads, but they're all sort of straw. They have the straw cut. heads. Yeah, straw oh, heads. Okay. And they perform with with fire and they run through the fire and right. um, and drum on hillsides. Fantastic. What's not to like? Yeah, it, it's you've got to realise that something like that can be very controversial oh, in, yes. in, in Ireland because it's pre-Christian and Northern Ireland is still a place which is... Very, you know, still holds 
it's religion, Christian religion is right. very strong. So looking at these other things, you know, the other can be right. viewed with a great deal of suspicion. Mm. It's interesting that, that that whole hunting the wren tradition, which that's part of, is something that seems to go on North and South Island. Yeah, well, these things are old and um, yeah. was... Before we thought of slicing it up. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah, which is, you know, only 100 years ago. Yeah, this is very true, isn't it? Yeah, I want to go back to the points that I made earlier on. You know, we were talking in, at the very beginning about the obvious and and how masks come alive when there's somebody behind them or when there's this dance taking place. And, and I agree with that. However, I think that masks on their own can have a certain power as well. Okay. And this particular mask that was actually brought to me by a friend because okay. they, they thought I should have this. Do you want to describe it? Well, it looks very old. It looks as though it's made of mud, straw, and there's this sort of red and white ribbon effect that's stuck onto the front of the face. And just the way the, where the hollow is for the eye and the ribbon is placed around the eye, it's got a, a presence to it. It has. It's, it's alive yeah. with, with a presence. And it's not very ornate or formed it's barely even a mask you could say but it has a presence to it and i think this is a a really good example of you know it's probably been used in a ritual do you know anything about its story at all no i don't it looks a particular style from maybe senegal okay with a costume mask right costumes used in performances performing ritual it looks like it's sort of it's almost the shape of a a woolly hat with a semi-circular sort of mask dropping down at the front and it it looks like it's made of some sort of fabric woven with mud there aren't any distinct humanoid or animal features in there it's a very powerful looking mask yeah it's powerful just in its own right just standing there on a stand and the same over here this is a different type of mask it's a cast the mold would have been taken from the burgers of cali probably illegally actually and uh, there's a few of these in existence in the uk the burgers of cali the burgers of cali by rodin oh right of course yes so you know, I think I'm just really giving an illustration of how actually masks can just have a, a power of their own, you know, without somebody behind them. Absolutely. Yeah. No, maybe. Yeah, I can I, I concede. I can yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see this. And I think that, you know, when you look at masks that are that are made purely as ornament and yeah. then you look at a mask that has a purpose for ritual. Yeah. The two different things. Maybe there are. And even the ones that aren't actually used or worn in any way, they're still feeding into them. Is this idea that they could have, mm. or they have been, or ones related mm. to, to mm. It have been used in this, this sort of context. Mm. But there's something very much sort of alive about masks, isn't it? They're, they're asking to be animated. Yeah. They're asking to have a, have a greater life than just something that's, that's just sitting there. Yes, and it goes back to that thing that they have a use and a purpose 
that they're going to be used for something. There's a, a mask, I think, up in the armory in Leeds. It's one of the most remarkable... I've never, do you know what? I've never seen that before. What a crazy-looking thing. It, it really is. It, it, it's, it's a mask. It's, it goes all the way round. It looks like it's in some kind of metal, like pewter or steel yeah. or something. And, and it's almost like a skeleton-type face with goggles, it looks like. Yeah. And with curly ram's horns coming out, out the top. And it looks very old yet contemporary as well because it has these goggles. Absolutely. It's hard to place in time. Isn't it just? And you look at it and think, well, it could have been made or it could be made at some time in the future or it could have been made a long time ago. And they say that surrealist art came out of the 20th century. Mm. And you look at this. Yeah. <laughs> no. Which <laughs> is quite no. sinister. It is. It's very sinister. The, the, the mouth is sort of like a grate or a cage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very sinister. And can you imagine somebody wearing that at the banquet table? And it becomes <laughs> all the more sinister when you see the, the shadow and the flicker, the glint of an eye behind or the shadow... The glimmer of, of a mouth moving as it speaks, and it would take on a different type of animation. Absolutely. And this is, I mean, this is the whole thing with masks, isn't it? They uh, take on a life of their own. And if you put on that mask, people will start responding to you in a particular way, and you in turn will start acting in response to that. And this is the sort of the feedback loop that's set up that makes you into something. Yeah. yeah. Going back to what you were saying about the balaclavas. Yeah. an Island in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Again, it's sort of a, they become a very real thing. The, yeah. Or the Padstow Obios, again. It, yeah. It, it can make you become yeah. the thing that you're representing. Yeah. The, the, the individual becomes possessed, I don't know, with this other universal power, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole essence of a mask, isn't it? It's not you. It's, it's something beyond you. It's something other. Yeah. Because if it was you, you wouldn't bother wearing one. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the obvious and um, <laughs> it seems as if a lot of this is centred around that. But I would say that this is, you know, for me, one of the biggest inspirations and kind of brought to the fore the, the whole power of the mask, if you like. Now, the other thing is I had the privilege of being there. Well, I've been going since... 1989, actually, and I've only missed a couple of horses, Padstow days. But one of them was, I think it was back in 2012 or 2011, and it was the first time that the horse was allowed into the, the Anglican church. And I couldn't believe it. And the horse proceeded with the, with the dancers and the musicians towards the church. And I thought, oh no, you know, surely not. <laughs> surely this is not going to happen. And the horse came in to the church. And I remember peering through the window and seeing the horse dancing in front of the crucifixion. And it was a shocking thing because it was this collision of two worlds, the pagan and the Christian, coming together, colliding. It just struck me as something so bizarre and something true about it. Well, this is, I mean, I, ironically, you've got the 
death and resurrection exactly. motif yes, coming up in two very different ways, but yeah. it's the same message, isn't it? That's right. And all these things aren't they about death and resurrection? Yeah. And I think with the mummers, it's about that too. It's about the passing of time, and the you know it's about the dying back and the celebration of the things to come. And maybe again, the idea of the masks sort of feeding into this is the idea that maybe all we are are just masks. We're passing through this dance of death mm. and resurrection, mm. and in between, all we have is this this mask that we wear. Well. That, for me, is a very poignant thing, and it's very fresh in my mind. My, my mother died uh, at the age of, brave age of 96, and I was by her side holding her hand as she died, um, passed away, and um, I took the decision that I wanted to see my mother in the coffin before the coffin was, the lid was put on. It sounds very morbid, this, but um, it kind of explains things far clearer to you in your own mind and your own psyche. And I touched her and, you know, felt her face, and which was cold and, and dead. But it, it made me think of precisely what you're talking about, that, you know, we are body, we are the mask, and behind that is this energy or soul or spirit, for want of a better word. And the two come together in life and the two separate. And perhaps it's the, the power of that that we can't define is the thing that we celebrate yeah. through these things, through dress, through mask, through life. But they can be distinctly different and come together. Yeah, that's the big paradox that underlies all these apparently crazy-looking ceremonies and mm. customs and things that we do. Mm -hmm. I think that these things are very affirmative. Oh, they are, absolutely. Because they, they are really one of are. celebration. Yeah, yeah. And there is, there's, there. there's a certain feeling when you're there and you're just walking behind the os mm. and you're just part of this whole thing that's going on. Mm. And there's something quite melancholic about it mm -hmm. because of the transience of all things, but something again quite wonderful mm. because you know you're participating in it, mm -hmm. you're part of it. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the most powerful moments uh, with the OS is, is usually the end of it. Um, and it, I don't know, it seems to be the blue OS for me that, that does it really well, that when it comes to the end, it comes to this crescendo. And when the townspeople, the Padstonians, sing to it, and then it burls around, and then mm -hmm. it comes off, and it's almost thrown off and onto the ground, and it becomes this lifeless yeah. thing. The spirit leaves it, yes. Yeah. yeah. And conversely, in the morning, when it emerges, and you hear the beat of the drum... And it makes me well up a bit just thinking about it. Yeah. It's really quite emotional, isn't it? It, it is. You've got these, these, yeah. these, these, these two polarities to the day. Yeah. It is an emotional thing. I've seen people with tears in their eyes as oh, they really? sing to the horse, as it's all coming to 
to an end. And that's an incredible thing, really. Thank you very much, Tim. Pleasure. This was a Quarry Studio production, made in a secret location in a quarry somewhere in West Cornwall. Words, music, sounds and production, Steve Patterson. Patterson. Engineering, editing, production and additional voice, Dave Wisdom. Additional voice, website design and brainwaves, Lisa Wisdom. If you want to support us, you can do so on patreon.com slash antiquarian adventures in meta reality. For further information, look us up on stevepattersonantiquarian.com. We look forward to joining you for further antiquarian adventures in meta reality.